Ladies and gentlemen, Suki MMA is back for UFC Vegas 51. And, you know, we kept the streak going. We went 9-5. and five. It's a winning record by a long shot. But we were one pick away from keeping that 70% streak alive over the last five. So I'm a little upset about that. But, I mean... Let's not go into too much detail. The Chris Moutinho Super Saiyan pick was a little dumb of me. We knew that that was a flippy floppy type of fight that, you know, Kennedy could have easily pulled that one off, which he did. And then, you know, the main card, I mean, that's where I really want to just give Song Yudong some big praise. I think that that kid has just been looking so elite. You said it in the video last week. It's just like you, you're... You, you almost feel like these guys don't get talked about enough as a sport that just thrives on, you know, continuity and consistency and just youthfulness. Like, we've kind of praised all these older champions and higher-ranked fighters that have just been able to do it for so long, but, you know, it's almost like we've got this forgotten love for, for the prospect. And Song Yadong is just... He's graduated for sure despite his age, and I can't wait to see him fight again, but... Like I said, 9-5 and five on the whole card. We're just absolutely slamming it now in the month of, or sorry, in 2022 now. So 59-39, and 5-3 and three on the Super Saiyan pick. So ladies and gentlemen, Suki let's keep it rolling. We're going to get right into the first fight here. Because I'm actually pretty you know, excited for this UC London card. We've got a lot of prospects. And, record you know, they were able to fill out this card with a lot of big names coming out of Cage Warriors and just alive in general. So Mohamed Mokayev and Cody Durden. So Mokayev is actually a great too much. That's what Chris Moutinho's Super Saiyan pick was a little dumb of me. Being a Dagestani wrestler, I mean, he's got all those things that we seem to love now. And Cody Durden, which he did. And you know, the, the main Chris card, I mean, that's where I really want to just give almost immediately, right? Those shot-for-shot shot leg kicks and so the amount of damage he can make, right? So last week. that's where it's this fight like kind of really... You, you almost feel like these guys don't get talked about it, right? Makai's ability to grapple is insanely you, good, but he's also quick and, he, and he's got and good movement. And I, and I think that athleticism is going to be what like we plays kind of the biggest part in this fight because Cody Durden is that champion to backstop higher rank fighters that have been able to do it for so long. But immobility, you know, it's almost like we've got this forgotten love for fighting. I don't know. This is the style that's just going to be any graduated for sure. And fighting is a guy who's going to just be like I said. Nine and look for those opening cards. We're just absolutely slamming it now in the month of and sorry, in 2022 now. So I think he's 59 and 39. Five and three. He's already said that he wants to so get a big finish in this let's fight. Let's keep it rolling. We're going to get right into again, the first fight. Again, you look at the ways that Cody Durden pretty excited for this. You've seen this card. We've got a lot of prospects. It's going to be the leg kicks. They're able to fill out this card. It's going to be very mobile and looking for takeouts. Names slowing down. Get those leg kicks in. And then he can start throwing those big punches. Mohamed Mokayev and Cody Durden. So Mokayev is actually an absolute man. He's like 5-0-1-1 a draw against being Cody a Dagestani so wrestler. I mean, of those six got all those things that we seem to love now. And Cody Durden, right? you've seen him in some you have to realize barn this is going to be very violent. Chris Gutierrez and Mokayev is going to have his hands full, but almost immediately, he should be right? able to pull off the shot for shot so leg kicks. We're going to take Mokayev as a pick here. It's hard to go against. That's where this fight kind of really even. You know, we've just seen a lot longer. Think of me, right? Mokayev's ability to grapple is insanely good, but he's also quick and he's got good movement. And I think that it's been fun. It's going to be what Mokayev minus is going to be my Cody Durden is yes, the line for the first fight. He's got pretty good wrestling. Let's take a look. It's just the opening lines and crashes dummy style fighting. I don't know. This is the style that's going to be any good. I always wondered if in a fight against a guy like Mohamed, he's going to just be technical. 
cares about so and many things. And look for those so openings. Start with to the this one. When he's able to use that jujitsu, Cody Durden and plus that 270 opener, I think he's going to be able to absolutely maul him. And he's already said that he wants to get a big finish and now as high as a minus 365. Again, you look at the ways that Cody Durden can win. 100 200 points out of the range. It's going to be the leg kicks, taller fighter, a guy who's going to be very mobile and looking for takedowns and slowing down. Get those like and then you can start throwing those big hundred. I mean, if you Gutierrez have that is face, no so keep it locked. We're going to be going like through all of these fights. So hit that next video and don't forget Durin. to like so and subscribe. Of those six fights, this is the only one this man has dropped per se. So you have to realize, like, this is going to be a very violent fight. And I think Makaev is going to have his hands full, but he should be able to pull off this victory. So we're going to take Makaev as a pick here. It's hard to go against him based on what we've seen in Brave and you know, we've just seen him a lot longer, I think, than the average, you know, MMA fan in North America just because of we've been able to cover the sport for the last year or so, and it's been fun. So, Makayev minus 200 is going to be my guess the line for the first fight. Let's take a look at the opening lines and the current line, shall we? Let's get these open. And it's funny, I always wondered if people believe that I don't look them, but yeah, I definitely do not. And I'm curious about so many of them. So let's start with this one. Cody Durden, plus 270 opener. And Makayev coming in as a minus 339 and now as high as a minus 365. So I was about good 100 to 200 points out of the range there. But obviously the idea that favorite, we tend to do that. Uh, give some bump to the underdogs. But you can get Cody as high as a plus 300 if you have that faith. So keep it locked. We're going to be going through all of these fights. So hit that next video. And don't forget to like and subscribe. You know, believe it or not, there is legitimately not a line I've wanted to sneak a peek at more uh, going into a fight in such a long time. Corey McKenna versus Elise Reed. I am such a fan of, of Corey McKenna. And the reason why is, you know... We just talked about it with the song Yadong in the previous video, but the idea of the prospect is kind of dying. You know, I always think to myself, in MMA, it's such a sport where, you know, boxing is so opposite that once you lose that, oh, it's like no one really gives a shit. Like, that is facts. But in this case, in MMA, it's a weird feeling of if you go undefeated, it's almost an unwritten precedence that you might not be challenging yourself as much. And that's why John Jones got so much credit. Same with GSP and the way they went about their careers, right? It's the losses that you take in MMA can be such a builder for the future of your career that sometimes they... I don't want to see they're better than wins, but the effect they can have on a fighter is insane. Talk about Israel, right? He doesn't have competition at 185. What do you want the kid to do? Just keep fighting the same guys over and over again? This guy's putting his body on the line. What about his legacy? People always find a thing to complain about. And, you know, whatever. Let's go to one. Let's go to 205 and fight Jan and see how it goes. And I respect the hell out of fighters for doing those kinds of things. Because that is them challenging themselves. Despite what you have to say or what I have to say. So, in this case, you think about... The, the, the idea of the prospect and Corey McKinnon, that's where I'm hoping to see her take this career. You know, she's 6-1, and one, and you think about that climb up, right, the potential. My, she won me over on the contender series of Vanessa Demopoulos, and Vanessa Demopoulos is a fighter that's been, that's been trying to get her butt in the UFC for so long, and she finally did recently, but LFA champion, so much hype. And now we got Corey McKenna, you know, Team Alpha Mel trained, coming in there and just absolutely shocking people. I, I think that she looked great on the feet. I think she was able to negate Vanessa's, you know, very 
predictable game plan of taking it to the ground. And then you talk about the Kay Hansen fight, right? Kay Hansen has been talked about so much as a fighter. And who did we take in that fight? I mean, Corey McKenna's been our girl. And I think in this fight, you think about how she's going to be able to get the fight to the ground. I don't think Elise Reed has great pace. She's going to have length. She might have a striking advantage, especially with mixing it up. But I've watched a lot of her championship fights. I've heard guys call the opponents soccer moms. I mean, that's the vernacular they're using right now. And to me, I would never say that. But at the same time, it's a huge dictation of where she's been versus Corey McKenna and what she's accomplishing. To defeat Vanessa Demopoulos and Kay Hansen in your first two Dana White contenders UFC wins is pretty amazing. And in my opinion, I think Elise Reed is a step down from Kay Hansen. So I am so, so curious what this line could be. And my guess is between minus 150 and 200. I think that it could be a bit higher. And from a, from an actual prop perspective, guys, I think Corey McKenna by finish and even sprinkling that submission is so live. I think that her striking is going to be able to get this fight to the ground. But the moment she sees that opportunity, this is the kind of fighter that's going to go to her bread and butter and just lock something up. She's got the rear nakeds. She's training at Team Alpha Male. I mean... That's what they love, the guillotines and the rear naked. So for me, McKenna as, as a submission dub just seems whew, something you really want to look into. So for me, let's go McKenna. I'm going to take the pick here straight up. I'm going to guess uh, a minus 170 line based on what we just talked about. And I'm going to say not only is she going to win, but I, I like the prop of, of winning the submission. and Potentially even we'll look into rounds. You know, I'm feeling her today. I'm feeling her this weekend. So... Let's take a look at that line. Minus 170 is my guess. And all right, minus 213 opener. And I mean, I'll, I got to be honest, man. Minus 250 is the highest I see. And still such a good parlay piece. A potential Super Saiyan pick there. But we've had some pretty bad luck with female fights. So I might not go that route. But at least read plus 180 opener. Now getting to those my plus 200 ranges. So yeah, my girl Cord McKenna is about to maybe do some damage. Man, this card is so stacked. Uh, Jack Shore versus Timur Valiev. Now, if you think about the last time we saw Timur Valiev, the only knock I've seen from him, and his fights for me just seem to be like the Ronnie Barcellos fight. Like I, I build that in my brain as a, as a borderline main event. I was so excited for it. And think about the previous one with Trevin Jones and, and Timur Valiev. He's doing so good till he got absolutely clipped. That irresponsibility factor, right? That's where we had pegged Timur Valiev after that fight. And now he's getting a guy like Jack Shore and let's be real, Valiev, I'm going to give him the edge in the striking. Now, a lot of people have been hyping Jack Shore's wrestling for good reason. But I got to be honest, man. When you look at what Timur Valiev has accomplished in, in his fights over the course of his career, I, I, I think you don't want to underestimate another fighter's abilities because of how good you think another one's is. And Timur Valiev's wrestling is legit. His grappling ability is very much there. And we've seen him execute on several stages, including the UFC. So I think in this case, you have to really consider the striking game. Not only do you have to give Timur Valiev the edge, but then you have to you have to figure out how good is Jack Shore going to be on the feet. Because for me, that the, that's really where Timur Valiev can really put a stamp on this entire fight, right? You, you think about Jack Shore constantly trying to push pace and find those wrestling uh, takedowns. And, and if, you, if, you, if you're Timur Valiev, I mean... Not only defending the takedowns, but finding those counter shots, setting up big combos. I mean, those leg kicks are for real. You can slow down Jack very easily with those. And I gotta be honest, with Jack, it's gotta be elusiveness. You gotta be setting things up. You gotta be 
really keeping Timur on his on his back foot because I think in this case if he starts gaining that confidence if he knows he can start landing big shots I, I really believe that Valley of, at full confidence is a very dangerous fighter and if he gets that edge in the striking game it's really going to spell for a bad fight for Jack and that's where you have to keep a fighter who might have an advantage like that on his back foot so I think Jack's going to be trying to utilize some of his improved striking try to get this fight to the ground as quickly as possible and kind of just maul him from that top position I think Timur Valiev might be really good from that top position but if he's on his back how good is he really good you know how good can he be um, opposed to the get-ups because we've seen some really good things from him but Jack's going to be putting that pressure on. He's going to be able to try and maneuver his way into opportunistic positions because that's what he's looking for. He, he needs to find those submission opportunities. And I, I got to be honest, I I really like Jack as a fighter, but you look at his you you look at his record, and it, and it's hard to see where a fight like this like this is the biggest fight of his career, despite everything he's accomplished uh, with the Cage Warrior promotion in the past. I, I'm, I'm finding this one very difficult to predict. And the reason why is I just think it comes down to Valiev and how good Jack Shore's striking is. And the reason I say that is the X factor is Valiev has been questionable chin-wise and his decision-making has allowed fighters to, you know, find ways to get in there. And, you know, he hasn't had to eat that loss because Trevor Jones smoked a little bit of that ganja. So all in all this is this is the toughest fight to call on the prelims i, I think that valiev should be a favorite here about minus 130 I, I give him an edge from an athletic perspective and, and an mma fighter perspective i think that jack shore is being compared to the khabibs and the gsps very freely and and I, like i said i i don't disagree with people making those kinds of assumptions i mean we have this terrible terrible um habit in, as sports fans to compare the up and coming to the already established and, and i you know if we're gonna preach this whole idea in regular life as people are their own person i mean at the end of the day i think sports work the same way but rankings are rankings and you know totem poles are totem poles and people are trying to climb them so let's go with valley if it's a minus 130 i think that he should have an edge there but you know if shore can can keep keep this fight away from you know very disadvantaged spots on the feet i think he's got a big chance to try and you know come away with a win here so let's take a look hometown crowd what can he do this fight's a pick him uh, i was pretty close there so timor value opens as a minus 188 got that all the way down to minus 120 on average then we have jack shore plus 140 opener and a minus 110 in some places so like I said, guys, my difficulty in trying to predict this fight is clearly stated by the movement uh, with Vegas. And I might have to sit back and watch this one from a betting perspective. But from a pick, uh, I do like Timur just from having that pure MMA fighter style to, to kind of have opportunities to win this fight no matter where it goes. And with Jack, it's like, can he compete on the feet? Is he going to be able to get Timur down? Those are all the questions where... With Valley, if he has good defense. So let's wait for that one. It's going to be incredibly fun. A potential fight of the night. And I honestly just can't wait. The key to Krylov and Paul Craig. I mean, if people aren't guessing that this fight's going to end, I'd be pretty shocked. And the big thing for me is I really like Krylov's skills here. I think if he can avoid any major submission opportunities, especially early in the fight from Paul... He has a pretty good chance of winning this fight. And the reason I say that is, think about the Kennedys and Chuku fight. 
he was actually doing very, very well in that fight and then got caught in the end. The thing about Kennedy, though, is there's not much... There's no crazy power coming in there, right? He's uh, he's one of those guys that will pepper you with shots. He's got incredible cardio, one of the best you can see. And I think that's where he tends to win his fights from a dominant perspective. And then he got caught in that submission, just like Jamal Hill did as well. So where can Krylov avoid those things? It's obviously keeping the fight standing in the beginning and do some serious damage. I think that's where Nikita can separate himself from the Kennedys is that his strikes are going to hurt more. His history of being able to knock people out is there. And Paul Craig, like, let's be real. Both these guys are, their ability to get finished is clearly there in their tape and records. And that's where I think that that assumption of this fight not going the distance is pretty high there. And here's the thing. When you look at Paul Craig, you think to yourself, what an incredible record. We've seen him accomplish so many of these amazing submission wins, but... You know, there's tears in, in MMA, and, and I think this might be one where you're finally getting that taste of a guy who might not be so scared to be in that top position and, and try to use that just for some ground pot opportunities and get back to his feet, right? We've seen Nikita take people down fairly often to try and use that MMA style and, and gain that points with the judges as it tends to go to a, a, a judge's decision. And in this case, you know, I really believe Nikita's going to keep his fight standing. I think he's going to go balls to the wall. You know, him and Pavlovich, who's going to be the next fight, Sergei Pavlovich, they're both training together. And if you look at the way Sergei fights, it's very much a stand-up style, defensive style uh, wrestling. And, and in this case, Paul Craig's going to be searching for that takedown almost instantly. And I think if Nikita can avoid that fairly early and just do a lot of damage, I think he's got to be the, the, the favorite here and the winner. So... For me, Krylov as a minus 140 really makes sense. I just see so many more paths to victory for him, especially if this fight stays standing. It's just so difficult to consider Paul Craig as a as the winner if this fight doesn't get to the ground somehow. And he's really going to have to push pace on, on Nikita. And I think the third round style of him maybe just being able to withstand a lot of the damage and then pull something off in the end seems more likely than him just catching Nikita early in the fight. He's going to be very aware of what Paul Craig's good at, and I think he's going to avoid those areas pretty easily early in this fight. So outside of that, you know, Paul Craig has to try to do some damage himself, get that fight to the ground, up against the fence, you know, work some Muay Thai clinches. You, you surprise him a little bit, you know, do some damage, attack the body, tire him out. I think if there's one area where a grappler can always try and, you know, find ways, you know, a path to success is just tire guys out until the body's the number one way to do that. So if he can find some kicks, find some good uppercuts to the body, I think he can slowly punch his way to a third round submission as he tires out Nikita. But outside of that, I think Nikita's ability to keep the fight standing, use his boxing, and the idea of both these guys being able to get finished, we're going to consider the uh, fight not to go the distance, but also Krylov is at minus 140 favorite. So let's take a look here. So open is a minus 165, and actually he's going to hit the minus 200s by fight night, obviously. He's already hit it on a few books, and he's hovering above minus 185 pretty much everywhere. Paul Craig, man, plus 135 now, as high as a plus 159, plus 150 for the most part. I, I mean, again, if you're, if, you're the, if you're the guy that's going to think that uh, Paul Craig's going to last and be able to submit Nikita, by all means, that's some good juice. But you have to tell yourself that as a striker, I think Nikita's got this one in the bag. So we're going to go with that pick. And, and I like the idea for the fight not going the distance. 
Shamil Abdurakimov and Sergei Pavlovich. You know, I've heard a few takes on this, and the one thing that I'm kind of curious about is if we got to see Shamil against some of these guys that he's fighting now earlier in his career, how good would he be? The biggest thing with the Dawkins fight that we saw was just that the durability is kind of dissipating a little bit, right? Like, we're not seeing the same Shamil anymore. He used to be a good quality striker. It just he's got the hands, but not the durability. It's kind of that simple. And then you look at Pavlovich, you know, he relies so much on his boxing. The gas tank is fairly questionable, but you do some research and he's kind of got a Greco-Roman wrestling base. You wouldn't think it, right? And and in this fight, you kind of want to tell yourself if there were areas where he could be better 100% durability, you have to be able to outlast Shamil at this point, not just from a fight perspective, but in the UFC, this is a fight where durability can't be what you're losing. You know, it really needs to be a showcase of the areas where he's elite. And, and if this is not a fight where he can show that kind of skill as a UFC fighter, it's going to be tough to trust him in the future, right? There's, there's, there's already evidence to suggest that he might be one of those guys that's an early fighter, just very exciting, and then kind of slows down. But if he does that against a guy like Shamil, you have to tell yourself that he, he just might not be ready and the Overeem finish is there, but he's developed a lot since then. And for me, when you watch that Overeem fight, you could almost make the call that Overeem felt a bit of his punches and was willing to change up that game plan, right? Started clinching a bit more, looking for his opportunities, a little bit more ground and pound, that kind of style of fighting, right? And I think in this case, Shamil would probably want to employ a very similar game plan. Get in close, use a Muay Thai clinch, get some knees and elbows up in there, attack the body, we just said it in the last fight, but Pavlich is definitely going to be throwing some big hooks to the body, trying to come up top and attack the head as much as he possibly can. And, and I think he might be able to get a quick finish early. So it's almost like Sergey needs to not gas himself out early in the fight, but he also needs to get that big finish. So first round Pavlovich, but Shamil maybe pulling something off in the second and third rounds is not out of the question. So what do we call that, right? Obviously, Sergey's the... Uh, the potential favorite to begin the fight, but a live dog, right? Second round, third round, who knows what Shamil looks like if he takes a lot of damage too, but seems to be on his feet. He's got good cardio, and then all of a sudden, Sergey, from all that powerful throwing that he does, maybe starts to tire out, right? With that said, Sergey, guessing the line, minus 170 makes a lot of sense here. If not, probably a bit higher. I just think that for Shamil, there's a huge path to victory, right? I mean, unless the cardio is gigantically improved, which it very well could be, grappling clinching dirty areas of the fight like that's where Shamil wants to take it avoid yourself getting tired by taking big shots from a guy like Sergey cut that distance down and just start to just 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 use that body use that hair and smother the man I mean it's just one of those things where it's such a clear path to victory for both guys but it just comes down to who can do it better. And I think that's where people are struggling a bit. So let's go with Sergey's a minus 170. I just think the hype and the direction of where he's going, it just it's hard to go against him right now. And yeah, so I mean, not as I mean, to be honest, I'm not surprised by it, but I'm glad it's not a lot higher, right? So Pavlovich opens the minus 270, and he is actually getting bet up to the minus 300 range. Shamil plus 225, now hitting areas of plus 250. And so, would I bet Sergey at that price? No, but would I consider his finishing prop or maybe even his round one win prop? 100%. I think if he was to win, 
it's going to be early and it's going to be devastating. So that's a fun fight, a little bit all over the place, but I think that there's a huge opportunity to suggest Sergey wins early and maybe Shamil can do some damage later if uh, Sergey just proves to be too tired. Looking forward to that one. Finishing off the prelims, England zone, Mike Grundy facing Makwan Amerikani, aka Mr. Finland. This is a battle of durability, right? I think Mike Grundy is going to have a lot of adrenaline early in the fight. He's got to manage that, be disciplined, because he will have a huge advantage in rounds two and three. And again, touching on a point that I bring up fairly often, we just did it in, a, in a previous video here. When you take fights that, you know, it's not like everyone's predicting you to lose, but it's tough. The odds are going to go one way. The thought process of most fight fans, pundits, whatever the hell you want to call them, they're always going to be in one direction, right? When Mike Grundy fought Mavzar Evloev, you know, not only was he able to deal with some of the damage that was coming his way, but he tried. He found opportunities to to, to make a difference, to, to avoid some of those big strikes, to use his grappling. But Mavzar Evloev is, is a potential title challenger in the UFC. So when you take on a fight like that and you get a taste of what that feels like in the early parts of your career... That's going to turn you into something special. One of his best friends, Darren Till, is going through the exact same thing with Kamzat Chimaev. So, I'm very excited to watch this version of Mike Grundy fight because his, one of his best friends is in the main event. Uh, it's just such a good opportunity for him to showcase what he's good at. Makon Amerikani, I mean, how many times can we talk about the same thing? Tends to go up against strikers and maybe puts on a fairly good performance early in the fight and just fades. Uh, he loves the anacondas and the darces. He loved those chokes, uh, those arm chokes and things like that. But you're not going to catch Grundy that easily. And that's where, for me, if Grundy's willing to stand up for a little while and do some real damage with Makwan and avoid the ground till he's about, you know, Makwan second, third round tired, I think that he's going to have a big opportunity there to, to, to submit him. I think he's going to be able to come up with a finish. But... For Makwan, it's like with being so good in the first round and, and maintaining that kind of um, that excitement, it, that's the toughest part of his game. Where's that durability going to come from? Where's that cardio going to come from? Because Mike Grundy, the kind of fighter he is, pushes the pace, grappler style, but loves to get dirty. I mean, it just seems like a terrible, terrible fight for Makwan Armikani. And you really want to think about the striking. I'm going to see how good... Uh, and how much better, I should say, Grundy is versus Makwan, who we've seen against top-tier guys. And that's where you want to really think about Makwan's skill level. Is He's coming off like Edson fights and things like that. And, I mean, when you think about a guy like Grundy, we haven't seen him as much. I think there's a lot of tape on Makwan to suggest where he's good and where he's kind of faulty. Whereas with Grundy, it's like the trajectory is just going up. And for me, the way I've seen him fight against guys like Mavzar Vlov and then develop from there... It's hard to go against him. I just really like the durability, and I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that if this gets out of the first round, he's just gonna be able to have his way with him come rounds, you know, second half of the second round and third round. So I'm gonna go Grundy's a minus one forty. Uh, I think that he he can pull off a decision here, if not a late submission. So my guess, Grundy minus one forty. Let's take a look. Ooh, so. We're about eight points off from the opening line. So Grundy came in as a minus 132, Mach 1 plus 115. But Grundy's moving up to that minus 180 to minus 190 range with Mach 1 sitting at plus 150 to plus 160. Uh, I think that it's very clear that the striking edge is going to be a huge difference maker here. Add to the fact that the cardio of Mach 1 that seems to, you know, 
leave him fairly early. If that doesn't happen, I think we're going for a very exciting fight of two guys that love to choke their opponents out, but uh, need to get the fight there first. So I think that's going to be very fun. Kicking off the main card, Jay Herbert and Ilya Topuria. Now, the thing with Jai, I mean, 0-2 to start his UFC career, but taking on guys like Francisco Trinaldo and Renato Moicano. What? I mean, kudos to him. He goes five rounds pretty much with both of them. Gets crazy good experience under his belt and goes and knocks Okama Worthy in the first round. We were all over that one. And now he gets Ilya Topuria. A guy we've been talking about entering the ranking ranges and potential dark horse title contender in a couple years. You know, it, it's a crazy matchup. And, you know, Patty already made a comment after their little scuffle with uh, Elia that, you know, he has no reason to fight him because Jay's going to finish him. So with Jai, I, I think that the length here is a big deal. I think that his ability to just keep Topuri at bay is going to be his number one ticket to victory. You think about a guy like Topuria, and he's going to have to do MMA Tyson things, right? Get in close, attack the body, look for your takedowns. There's no reason for you to stand at range with a guy who's going to be longer and has good power. And, and the one thing about Jai is you see that it it gives him so much confidence when he starts to really put on the pressure. I think that in fights with, you know, Moicano and Trinaldo, it was just bad decision-making towards the end. He almost finished Trinaldo as well, and that one just fell away from him, right? So you have to kind of... Think about in those areas, can he, in those same fights, and now taking a guy like Uli Tapuria, depending on where you see Tapuria versus guys like Moicano, uh, Kama Worthy, and Francisco Trinaldo, I mean, I think a lot of people are going to be all over Tapuria in this fight, but the more you look into it, you're like, Jai can really strike at range, and he's got clean power. And so, you know, when you think about the skills that Topuria has brought to the UFC from the get-go, it's that Georgian-style wrestling, and then couple it with very good tight boxing. I, his his combos to the body are probably the best we've seen from him. And that's where for me, it just seems like his entire style is based around not fighting at range the way Jai would want this fight. And, and I'm gonna be honest, Topuria is probably willing to walk through those punches to get to that distance that he wants. So it really comes down to how effective can Jai hit him in those exchanges and, and how accurate can he be? Because if he clips him hard and he drops him, I think Jai's gonna be able to finish him. I, I think that his punches are quick. I think that the power's there. And so if it's one of those ones where he clips him a couple times and drops him, I mean, his ability to jump on there and finish him, I, I mean, he's gonna be able to do it. But, I see this fight going very similar to the Moicano fight. And the only reason I say that is because I think that Topuria is going to be able to get inside, do a lot of his damage, do a lot of that body work, land, land, sorry, land some of those leg kicks. And yeah, I just think even a submission here is a very likely scenario for Topuria to win. Now, again, we just talked about Jai's skills, right? I mean, that one-two, the jab, fighting behind those setup punches and then landing those big shots, using that range, using those leg kicks to really slow down Topuria, I mean, those are going to be such big factors of his game. And the big thing is defend the takedowns. I think that you're going to be able to do the power shots. You're going to be able to land some knees and some clinch work. You know, just avoid the takedowns because I think that's where Topuria runs away with this fight. And so for me, with that said, guess the line time. I'm going to Topuria minus 260. It's just, I see that submission opportunity for him. The way he fights, that Tyson MMA style. It's just, he does everything well. That gets him um, into good places with a fighter like Jai Herbert. So the flip side, it's like Jai's the one that has to work harder to keep this fight in his range because Topuria's just going to keep coming. So let's take a look. Topuria minus 260 is my call here. And 
Ilya Tapuria minus 400 now as high as a minus 500. Jeez. I mean, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. Sprinkling Jai Herbert plus 290 all the way up now to plus 375. I mean, hometown kid potential knockout. I mean, why not take a chance? I mean, it's a possibility. But yeah, Tapuria wrestling, Tapuria body shots, Tapuria down to the ground and submission is where I see this fight potentially going. So probably one of the most fun fights on the card. You don't want to miss that one. Keep it locked to Suki MMA. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Peace. Molly McCann and Luana Carolina. Now, here are my issues with this fight. As much as I want to see Molly McCann just go in there and box the hell out of Luana Carolina, nothing personal. Just for her to get a big win at her hometown, it's just it's so obvious how hard she works. And she's pulled up some big fights and just some good wins as well at the UFC level. And I think she deserves one of those fights that you just absolutely off your seat, cheering for her, being like, way to go, Molly. You know, that that's what I see from her. But... Luana Carolina, what can we say about her? I mean, great length, good, you know, Novo Nyao style fighting, right? Defensive wrestling, big strikes landing. You look at the um, Priscilla Cachueta fight. is a fighter that just keeps coming, keeps coming. Not as technical as Molly, but just keeps coming. Multiple times, Luana was able to land some big kicks, was able to use her combos, great jab, great one-twos. And to me, it's it's even in those areas where she's going to start using that Muay Thai. I think that Molly needs to be very careful with where that range ends. You know, this is what's so beautiful about MMA is when you're analyzing boxing, the range conversation really just comes from the idea of how far do I need to stand to avoid getting hit and be able to land some big punches, right? But in MMA... It's like you have the range that goes from the kicking, then you get into the middle where it's that boxing range. And in this fight specifically, it's like Molly needs to play in that area where she can't be in this spot where the kicks can land. She can't be in this spot where she can get kind of pulled in and just start getting these really big knees to the body and elbows, which Luana is going to look for. She just has to stay in that one boxing range to really effectively land the combos and the big shots that she's always looking for. And I think a big area that she can definitely surprise in is getting some takedowns. Land those takedowns. Get those points. Work in some ground and pound. You know, you, you rely heavily on the power in your fist. And I think any of those areas that you can negate the distance and negate her ability to even land those big knees and elbows with the length, the bony, you know, it just it comes right in there. I mean, it, those are the areas that I just really want to see Molly avoid. Whereas with Luana Carolina, it's, you know, don't get taken down. We've seen her pull off some pretty big uh, wins. Uh, I think Lupita was one. Uh, I'd have to double check that. I don't have that one written down. But, you know, seven-inch reach advantage against a fighter who loves to fight at boxing range. I mean, when you when you watch this fight in your head, you can't possibly tell me that you don't see Molly just getting pieced up with little combos, some good kicks. Like she's going to have to keep pushing forward to fight through a lot of strikes. And it's just she's not that good of a grappler for me to then say, okay, once she gets into that range, what more can she do? That's what I mean about this fight is Molly would have to stay in that boxing range to do her best work, but seven-inch reach advantage against the against the fighter who's got great kicks, great combos, and pretty good Muay Thai and, you know, defensive wrestling to boot. So that, that, that Novo Nyao style, I think, is going to be very tough for Molly to overcome with a, you know, seven-inch reach disadvantage and how tactile Carolina is. So I want to go Carolina minus 160, and I do think there's an opportunity here for her to win a division, win a decision. I think that Molly's going to be going balls to the wall, all heart, no matter what, looking for that win. So let's take a look here. Luana Carolina minus 125. 
and now moved up to she's a dog molly mccann coming in as a plus 100 underdog now as high as a minus 140 favorite so we had the lines flipped looks like luana carolina is a plus one you can get her as high as plus 120 and i gotta be honest just even based on my description it's just i, I the path to victory right boxing range I, I, she would have to surprise me with something else uh to, to really pull this off and i think if luana, luana can avoid being on her back with molly on top just trying to fill her with punches it just seems like it's a pretty good fight for her to win so keep it locked suki mma don't forget to like and subscribe peace Next up, guys, we got Gunnar Nelson and Takashi Sato, you know, and it's really funny to think about all the classic grappler versus striker matches we've seen, and I don't think there could be a more grappler versus striker, right? So Gunnar Nelson, we're seeing him back after, you know, 2019, lost to Gilbert Burns. I mean, Takashi Sato, a bit more of a active fighter, but not really in a good way. I think that we've seen good moments from him in his striking. Jason Witt's a, a great example. And that's what I think a lot of the longtime fans want to see, right? Just Takashi Sato go with a bang kind of thing. Land some of those big shots. Have some fun in there. But let's talk about Gunnar Nelson for a second. The only person to ever finish him via, via strikes is Santiago Ponzinibbio. And we know how good of a fighter that Santiago can be in his prime, especially from a power perspective. And I think that this is a comeback fight through and through for Gunnar. Uh, Sato's been really good striker, but I just don't see him being able to land like that on Gunner. I think that the takedowns are slowly going to start coming. I think that Gunner's really going to push a pace on him that, I don't know, I, I just don't see the power carrying uh, to the later parts of the fight. And I think one, once Gunner gets that rhythm going, he starts flowing on the ground a bit. I do think it's only a matter of time before he pulls away with that submission victory or gets a, a very strong decision win. It's very hard for me to see when he's been close friends with a guy like Connor, trained with him so closely. I think Gunnar doesn't need to throw punches in this fight. Do you know what I mean? I think that avoiding punches is the most important part of his game plan, and then it's just do what you do. So that's what makes me think that Gunnar is not only a, a pretty good favorite when I guess the line at minus 200, but it's just so hard for me to see him lose a fight in striking when there's even a Leon Edwards split decision on there. You know, that's how good of strikers that Gunner's already seen. And now we're talking about Takashi Sato. It just doesn't add up for me. Uh, I really do think that this is a, uh, a gift from the UFC in terms of a comeback fight because the people we've seen Gunner Nelson, like, I mean, we've seen him go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Damian Mayan grappling, get it absolutely destroyed. But he's seen that. He knows what Damian Maya's grappling feels like. He knows what Gilbert Burns' striking feels like. He knows what Leon Edwards' striking feels like. He knows what Santiago Ponzinibbio's striking feels like. So what are they not showing me that Takashi Sato can? I mean, that's what would blow me away. And I will happily eat my words right now if he's able to pull off something like that. Because... Gunnar Nelson minus 200. I, I just think it's it's a fairly easy pick, and I don't I don't doubt this line hitting those minus 300 to 400 ranges. So let's take a look. <laughs> I mean, Gunnar Nelson minus 300 opener minus 475 on some places. Please avoid BetOnline.ag if you're a Gunnar Nelson fan. Takashi Sato man plus 250 opener now as high as a plus 375. I'm sorry, but digging deep into this one just tells me that. 
of all the fights on this card, Sato is the one with the most stacked against him and has such a narrow path to victory that if he were to pull it off, he is 100% um, worth that uh, plus 400 price tag. And, and I mean, if you hit that, let me know because I deserve a slap in the face. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and I'll check you guys later. Peace. Man, I feel like most people are probably focusing on a Topuria and Pimblet fight more than anything, but let's give Rodrigo Vargas some some uh, some airtime right now. And let's be real, the UFC is obviously trying to set some things up here. I think they want to give Patty a, a pretty clean victory to continue the streak that he's on. I mean, he he took a couple years off just to get better, and came. He's on a first round finish streak of three fights. You know, he won two back to back at Cage Warriors, and he came in. Against a guy like Vendramini, and you know, for how good of a striker Vendramini is, for Patty to take the damage that he did and then just come back and, and make that happen with those big hooks, I mean, such a fun fighter to watch. His his persona is getting really, really popular, and it's weird, but you could almost make the car the argument that he is a uh, heel waiting to just burst out of his shell, uh, uh, a UK Colby Covington, if you will. I, I just see a lot of that on its way, but outside of that, I think. Patty's got that excitement in him. I think that when you look at the way that people relied so much on his grappling in those early parts of those fights, especially those last two heading into Vendramini uh, debut, him pulling off um, a striker's win against a striker, probably getting a fight where people thought he was going to be the grappler taking out the striker, is a huge feather in his cap going into a fight like Rodrigo Vargas. Now, Vargas is primarily known for upsetting a whole bunch of parlays. I'm sure when he took on Zhang Ru, Zhang was supposed to be a highly touted Chinese prospect out of the Shanghai PI, and Vargas just completely, you know, surprised everybody. He was able to dominate him in terms of just like those close areas of grappling and landing some good shots. But in this case, I, I just think Patty's going to be able to be a lot more elusive, a lot more quick. And the work he's doing with his striking is obviously going to help him get the fight to where he needs it to be. And for me, it's just the style is this, the matchup in terms of style is very hot, tough to see. You talk about Pats to victory for Arredo Vargas. I think it's going to be top position. I think that there's areas where if he can avoid giving up his back, if he can avoid, uh, you know, just being on his back as well. Those are the areas ground and pound point style fighting. I'm curious to see how good his striking is going to be with Patty because I think Patty's just going to be getting better and better and better the whole time. Whereas Rodrigo, we've kind of seen it, right? He's in that 35 plus, 30 plus range where everything is hit or miss depending on the the, the talent you're fa fa facing. And, and in this case, I'm really it's really tough to say if he has any clear paths of victory whereas with patty it's like you know not only would he have been able to be that quick grappling style elusive fighter but now we're seeing him get better in the striking range and so size wise i just don't see much much of an advantage for rodrigo anywhere and you know i think if he's able to hold patty down and, and get a point style win get some good grappling uh, opportunities some ground and pound that kind of stuff it's probably his best ticket to a victory here, but Patty's such a good grappler. It just he seems to want to do the North American style of fighting, which is swinging and banging, baby. But I'm going with Patty's a minus 250. There's just no reason to suggest this line could not be astronomical already, just based on the hype and what he's been up to lately. So let's take a look. We'll go. I'm gonna go Patty minus 250. Let's take a look here. And again, 200 points off. So minus 400 opener, getting as high as a plus minus 500 now. And Rodrigo's 
very likely going to hit that plus 350 to plus 400 range come Saturday. But again, I think it's going to be hella fun. Patty's looking for that hometown victory. And there's just so much in his favor for this fight that it's just hard to, to, to predict against him and even find ways for Vargas to, to upset in probably one of the biggest fights of the night for, for the, that hometown crowd. So as always, don't forget to like, don't forget to subscribe. Keep it locked to Suki MMA. Peace. Arnold Allen and Dan Hooker, man. You know, the only thing I was waiting to see about this fight was just how good Dan's cut was going to be. And funny enough, I'm a, I'm a chef by trade and I've been putting a lot of thought to how I want to take all this um, stuff I've been doing over the last year or two and turn it into a little something. The fight dietitian, I mean, that guy is just absolutely killing it for uh, city kickboxing, what he's accomplished. You know, a lot of fighters just believe. It. I think Kaikar France is a big um, part of that as well. And, and that's where the dieting and the weight cut come into play. I've seen some pictures of Dan over the last 48 to 72 hours and he looks great. And there was a video, I think it was the Schmo that put it out, uh, like a face-off that did happen. And look how long D Dan Hooker's arms are. I just, the way he fights and what he's going to be looking for in this fight, it's just so difficult for me to see him losing. Now, the other thing with Arnold Allen is he's going to have to push pace. He's going to have to get this fight to the ground. I think that his best opportunity is to get out of that kickboxing range of Dan Hooker's and make this a grueling grappling fight. Tire him out. Make him really work for those areas where he wants to, you know, keep that fight standing and land those big kicks with those amazing combos and big hooks. But the big thing for me that I want to talk about Arnold Allen is when you look at that Sadiq Yusuf fight, you know, for what Sadiq Yusuf did in his last fight that we just watched, and for maybe people who don't watch the fight itself and then see that, you know, Arnold Allen beat Sadiq Yusuf in his last fight. But if you go watch that fight, he pulled off a fight where it could have gone either way. And that's the part that I really want to see if he's improved on. Because if he doesn't have the cardio to go three rounds with a Dan Hooker, unfortunately, he's going to get pieced up. I think Dan's just going to wait for those moments to be able to really fill him up. And if he's not able to get those takedowns at will... <clears throat> Dan's going to be just looking for those opportunities. And, and I'll be honest, man. I think Dan Hooker as a minus 150 makes a lot of sense for me here. I think that he's going to have a huge size advantage. I love the length that he brings in a fight where he has to use it the most. And the way that he throws his strikes is going to allow him to keep Arnold Allen at bay. That's the most important part here. You think about the Nasrat Hakpras fight. It's just that fight, he took on a great striker, took a few shots, but was able to really tactically beat him. And I think that's what's going to happen in this Arnold Allen fight. I do think Dan Hooker's going to win. I like a line of about minus 150. And to be honest, it comes down to the idea that I just think that not only is he going to be bigger, but I don't know if Arnold Allen's ready for this level of fighter yet. The Sadiq Yusuf fight not only proved that he had to eke out that win, but he's now taking on a guy that's been able to just box with... Dustin Poirier for five rounds and just eat it. So unless he's he's bringing in a game plan where he knows that that grappling is going to get him into those areas where he can just dominate and avoid any submission attempts from Dan, who's been pretty good on the ground, that's the most important part. And you just think about the finishing ability of Arnold Allen. It's just not there. Uh, according to this note I have here, it just 2014 in Quake Cage Warriors was the last time he did it. So. I love Dan Hooker in this fight. The more I look into it, the more I watch how he's doing coming out of this weight cut, it's just hard for me to go against him. So let's take a look. I got Hooker minus 150. Oh, whoa, it's a pick'em. It's a pick'em. 
opened at minus 102. Dan Hooker, the favorite, at minus 12. And some places, minus 115, both. Right now, if you're looking for Hooker, the minus 105 is the play. If you have an account with Pinnacle, he is still at plus money. And the same can be said for five dimes, sports interaction, 22 bet. I mean, if you're getting Dan, that's the only reason I said all those places is because if Dan Hooker is still plus money, man, jump on that because I do believe he is going to get that dub swimmingly. Keep it locked to Suki MMA. I love doing it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. See you soon. Peace. And now for the main event, Alexander Volkov and Tom Aspinall. Now, here's the thing. You could go back in all my videos and just see how long and how much I've been talking about Tam Tom Aspinall. It's just Chris Dawkins and Tom Aspinall were giving me white boy uh, Dos Santos Vol uh, Va uh, sorry. Dos Santos and Cain Velasquez vibes. I love the come up. I've loved watching them take on steadily more and more better competition i hate to say it but like that would be the word i'd use and obviously aspinall has been coming out a bit better in terms of the long run but also we just saw docus take on Derek lewis a top five fighter in the heavyweight division bar none potentially one of the greatest fighters to ever live um with that said volkov has a lot of underrated ability in this fight his length style of striking that he works behind that jab i mean the only fighter that's really been able to out technically strike him is Cyril Gunn, who might be the best technical striker the heavyweight division's ever seen. We'll only know that in the next five to ten years. Uh, but before that, we're going to get to see Volkov take on a guy like Tom Aspinall, who, let's be real, Tom Aspinall has great developed boxing, but the guy he started out as a big BJJ guy. And if you ask me, his ability to get top position and look for submissions is where I actually see this fight going. If you're planning a game plan, why would you take the opportunity to stand up in a fight with Alexander Volkov when, to be honest, some of your best baseline skills come from the BJJ area? You know, you developed as a fighter from there and you became a great boxer. So for me, I wouldn't be surprised if Tom Aspinall kind of surprises a few and uses his boxing to land a few takedowns and maybe look for some some submissions. Because I, I think when you look at Volkov's tape, this is a fighter where you constantly have to be both cerebrally in the fight and physically in the fight. And what I mean by that is the way Cyril Gunn fights is he makes it. It's like when you watch a, a soccer team just, you know, make those easy passes and, you know, the crosses, you know, FIFA makes it look so damn easy, right? That's what Cyril Gunn does for striking at over 225 pounds. It's just that dude is going to be so good at what he does for so long that I, I'm just I'm so excited to have him in the UFC. But go back, going back to Volkov, you know it's that fight where you just see that yeah he wasn't the first one to the to the punch. He was the Cyril Gunn. Sorry, it was very elusive, but. Volkov never tired. Volkov, caught, Volkov constantly pushed pace, and he had the ability to start trying to land as well. So that's what I mean by it was a very technical fight. There were openings for both guys to try and make something happen. Now, with Aspinall, it's the bum rushing, it's the wrestling, and it's the BJJ on the floor and the potential boxing up top. I think Volkov can outlast him in that first two rounds, and then we can see what happens. That's my point here. I really believe that there's going to be so much hype on Tom Aspinall for this fight let alone him fighting in the UK but everything is accomplished so far it's just going to have people you know looking at their chops to get some get some in on this action but you start to just think of where Volkov's been great 
And I hate to say it, but let alone at range where he's going to be able to do some kicks and land that beautiful jab and set things up. Think about his clinch work. If, if, if for example, Tom Aspinall goes in close, finds that boxing range, maybe looks for takedowns, or, or just stays in that clinch range, I can see Volkov trying to get his, his Muay Thai clinches going, getting some big elbows, getting some big knees in there. Attacking the body is going to be so important for Volkov because... In the same way that I called the Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz fight for some reason, the first one, um, there's something about watching fighters who either have trouble with gas in general, but also high-profile fights to go five rounds is a big deal. You have to be ready for that. You have to know what that mentally feels like, not just physically, but mentally. And you cannot, you cannot um, create the environment of your first main card headlining event in the UK. You just can't. So for me, Volkov has a lot less riding on this fight in the grand scheme of things. Yes, he's been a title contender on the outside looking in for years, but at the end of the day, Tom has so much riding on his shoulders for this fight, let alone his career of advancing in the UFC heavyweight division, but he's fighting in front of his hometown crowd. There's going to be a lot of people that are waiting to watch Tom fight, but for me... There are so many opportunities here for Volkov to play spoiler that I cannot help but just see that happening if the fight passes the first round and second round. So where do I see this? Again, live dog. I think if Tom cannot get the W in the first two rounds, it would be shocking for me. And put it this way, for how much I love Tom Aspinall as a fighter, the level of appreciation that I will have for him as a fighter, if he can go five rounds in a technical battle with Volkov, he's more ready for a title shot than I ever thought he was already. And this is a kid, I, this is a guy I've been following for so long to see him make that move. And so that's where I'm just like going to be so blown away if this goes five rounds and Tom Aspinall wins because I see so many paths for him to win, but they don't go for five rounds because I see Volkov so good at being disciplined for those five rounds outside of the goat so tom aspinall minus 150 makes a lot of sense to me here i think it's going to be close to a pick em. there's no reason for either of these guys to have a huge bump but i'll be honest with you i wouldn't be surprised if volkov was the favorite either so let's go with the hype train let's go with a guy like tom um tom aspinall and again live prop bet there if you want to bet tom i say take the ko or finish and even consider those first early rounds but with volkov i mean if you like the juice let's actually get into that line quickly opens as a minus 126 favorite for volkov now he's the dog very small highest line i see is plus 110 tom aspinall plus 110 opener now the highest line i see is minus 135 so that already i don't know if i could even take a minus 135 line on tom but i could sprinkle a finish prop i could sprinkle him you know winning within the first three rounds or something like that with volkov either taking a decision or even maybe finishing with strikes in the later part of the fight but Outside of that, guys, this is a crazy fun, fun fun card. And I think just with the idea of it being in the UK and then being able to fill this card up so well with European and UK talent, it's going to be so fun. It's going to be early on Saturday. And I get to go to another uh, comedy show with Sebastian Maniscalco, so I'm looking forward to that. As always, keep it locked to Suki Mimei. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Peace.